Hello, friends. Welcome to Read 'em and Weep. Emmy, your host, Sammy. We have what I think is a pretty cool episode for you today. Both of the hands from today's episode are from a session that I played earlier this week, and they happened about 10 minutes apart. Now, they both focus on one central theme, something that I've been trying to incorporate into several of the episodes lately, as you might have noticed. And today's theme is how preflop decisions, seemingly small preflop decisions, can have big effects on later streets later in the hand. Now, we did a preflop episode a few episodes back, and that really focused on a couple of preflop hands. This episode is going to be a little different in that the hands are full hands. Both play out to the river, but we're going to focus on them through the lens of what happened preflop and how those decisions shape the hands moving forward. Hopefully, as we get into the hands, you'll see what I mean by that. So let's quit pussyfooting around. Let's get right into it. Hand one, we are playing... 235 at my home ballpark, the California Grand Casino. And we are at the feeder game, which is a little shorthanded. I think we're playing eight-handed. And there's good news and bad news. The good news is this is legit the best game I've sat at in months. I mean, it is fantastic. It is loose action. People are drinking. Everyone's laughing. I mean, ton of action. Just great, 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 great game. The bad news is I've been card dead for over an hour at this point, just watching giant piles of chips get passed back and forth while I'm just sitting there with my thumb in my butt folding hand after hand after hand, just like a never-ending string of 9-4 offsuit and king-7 offsuit and queen-deuce offsuit, all that bullshit. Finally, we pick up a hand that looks pretty playable, 10-7 suited. Under the gun folds, and we're under the gun one with 10-7 of diamonds, And normally this is a hand that I wouldn't open until the cutoff. There's a couple reasons for this. Number one, you obviously don't want to be opening weak hands from early position because generally, especially in live poker, you're going to get called quite a bit. And then you're out of position with a shitty hand. Not a good way to make money. The other thing is a little bit more subtle. You know, suited connectors and suited gappers, they look a lot alike, right? 10-9 suited and 10-8 suited look almost exactly the same, but they're actually quite a bit different. If you run these hands through, there's a program called Flopzilla, and you look at the types of hands and the hand strengths and how frequently these hands flop good, direct suited connectors like 10-9 come out quite a bit better, like a lot better than you'd kind of intuitively think than a suited one gapper like 10-8 suited. Now, here we have a suited two-gapper, 10-7 suited. So this is far too loose to be opening from this position in normal circumstances. But legit, this game is so good that I need to be getting in hands against these players. Like, people are just paying off big bets all the time. There's so much money flying around. And I'm just not getting any hands. And I kind of need to get into the action at this point. So I decide to open my range a little bit and open my 10-7 of diamonds. And now the guy two to my left three bets me to 45 of fucking course, right? And I'm just going to fold my hand. Like there's no way I should be defending this hand. It is A, at the very bottom of my range. And it's always okay to fold the bottom of your range in any situation to aggression. And the other thing is I just don't want to play this hand against a three better at a position. It's just a terrible hand to do that with. It's not going to make you money. It's going to lose you a lot of money over the long term. So I'm all set to fold my hand, but then, of course, two players call behind the three-better. They cold call his $45 three-bet, 
And then the big blind cold calls his $45 three bet too. And it gets back to me. And now I'm just getting incredible pot odds. I'm getting almost seven to one on a call. It's 30 bucks for me to call and there's like 195 or 200 to win. So while I think it is proper to call here, just recognize that it's close. A lot of times it's really easy to be like, oh, I'm getting great pot odds. I have a suited hand. Let's go. One of the challenges with a hand like this is it suffers from something called reverse implied odds. And in short, that basically just means that it's at risk of making its hand and still being a second best hand, right? Like say I flop trip tens, I have 10, seven. It's pretty easy if somebody else has the case 10 for them to have me out kicked and be able to win a big pot off me. The other thing is I have 10 high diamonds. What if somebody has king queen of diamonds or queen jack of diamonds, something like that? We both end up making flushes. I can lose a shitload of money. So my hand really doesn't make the nuts in any tangible way. And so I have to navigate very carefully with it. Now, I do call this hand and I do think that I'm capable of navigating carefully. But again, it's not the slam dunk call that it appears to be. So I call the 30 and we end up going five ways to a flop. And it's all right for us. We flop a flush draw. Ace, jack, six with two diamonds. And again, we have 10, seven of diamonds. The big blind checks and we check. And now the original three better, the guy who three bet me, he bets 80 into 225. Everybody folds and it gets back to me. And I think this is a clear cut call. Obviously, we're not folding with a flush draw. He's bet small enough. Uh, we're, we're getting really good odds here. We're getting almost four to one. Uh, it's 80 to win 305. Of course, we're going to peel here. I don't really consider check raising and turning my hand into a bluff here just because of the texture of the board, right? It's ace, jack, six. This board favors his range a whole lot more than it favors mine, right? As the preflop three better, he can have hands like pocket aces and ace king and ace queen and pocket jacks a lot more frequently than I can. Yes, I can have some hands that flop big here. I can have ace jack and I can have pocket sixes, but I really don't have aces in range the way this was played. I really don't have jacks, honestly. Um, I would probably be four bet squeezing here just because there's so many callers in the hand. I would not want to call pocket jacks in this position. So he's got all the best hands on this on this board. I don't. And for that reason, uh, I don't think it's proper to check raise bluff. The other thing is I really don't have that great of a hand. You know, I don't have a combo draw. I have a naked flush draw that's not to the nuts, but it's not like I have a straight draw and a flush draw or, you know, a pair and a flush draw, nothing like that. I just have a naked bullshit flush draw. So for all those reasons, if you're wondering, I just don't think that check raising and turning this into a semi bluff is, is a good idea. So I call it's ace jack six with two diamonds. We go heads up to the turn and the turn is a big ass brick. It's a black deuce. So ace, jack, six, deuce with two diamonds. We're still left with a naked flush draw. We check, and I'm just planning to give up here um, on most bets. And he does bet again, but he bets hella small. He bets 120 into 385. And again, I'm getting better than four to one on a call here. And so I'm, you know, I'm getting basically the exact direct odds that I need to make this call. And then if I make my hand on the river, I'm going to be able to make more money. So it's a clear cut continue. And I call the 120. The river comes in offsuit six, pairing the six. 
we brick out completely. Again, I don't think bluffing here is a good idea at all. I check, and the middle position guy quickly checks back, turns over ace-king for top pair, top kicker, and he wins the pot. All right, so let's review our decision in this hand. Number one, my decision to open to 15 from under the gun one with 10-7 suited is a bad decision. This is way out of normal construction. And what I mean by normal construction is the hands, the ranges that I usually play. Now, can you loosen up and tighten up your ranges a little bit depending on the game you're in? Of course you can, and you should. But the reality is this is way too loose. Opening 10-7 suited from early position is never going to be profitable, even in a game like this. You know, it's just, it was just really bad and it was undisciplined. And it came from me being a little impatient and frustrated by being in this great game and and really not getting any hands for a long time. And if you're somebody who, you know, you're, you don't play a ton of poker or you don't really know what I'm talking about when I can't say construction, you can literally go online. I'm sure there's a bunch of free preflop range charts out there and they'll literally give you a good idea of what hands you should be playing from every position. Now, you don't got to memorize the thing completely or anything like that, but you should at least have a baseline idea of which hands are proper to play from each position. Obviously, from early position, you don't want to play as many hands. And as you go later and later in the positions, you want to play more and more and expand your range until you're playing a shitload of hands on the button. So check that stuff out. If you've never seen a preflop range chart, I, I think just knowing the you know kind of theory theoretical baseline of what you should be playing from each position, if you don't know it, will really, really help you out. Those charts will tell you that 10-7 suited is never a goddamn open from second position at the table, but I did it here. Then when I get three bet by middle position, I actually think it's just fine to call with all those callers in between. Again, it's a it's going to be a situation that I need to navigate carefully, but considering the odds I was getting and considering that I was closing the action and considering if I made a big hand that there's a lot of players at the table who are probably going to give me a lot of money. I think that call is perfectly justifiable. On the flop, we're check calling with our, our flush draw. I think that's totally proper, getting about four to one. Same thing on the turn, totally proper. And, and in both situations, my justification for not check raising and turning my hand into a bluff is the correct decision. And then on the river, just checking and giving up when we miss is the right thing. So basically, I made the correct decision on every single inflection point except the original open. My decision to open to 15 with 10-7 suited literally cost me $45 preflop, then 80 on the flop, and then 120 on the turn. It cost me $245 total from this small decision just to say, okay, I'm going to raise to 15 and see what happens. It ended up costing me 245 bucks. I did everything right after that, but simply my decision to open the hand in the first place cost me a ton of money down the road. And I got undisciplined, you know? My family is literally going to go hungry because I can't fold 10-7 suited from early position. I mean, fire me directly into the sun. It's just terrible job, Sammy. This wasn't it. Um, pretty, pretty disappointed myself and you know, I'll tell you, obviously, every time you open with a shitty hand, you're not going to lose 250 bucks. But I think this hand illustrates that one tiny mistake 
and being undisciplined can actually have big consequences down the line, even if you do everything else right. That's what happened in this hand. I lost a bunch of money. It sucks to suck. Can tell you from experience. All right. So that's hand one. Let's go on to hand two. Things turn around and get a little bit better for your hero. Stay tuned. All right, hand two. Same session, just a couple minutes after the previous hand. We are under the gun. We are playing 235 at the California Grand Casino with a $10 straddle. So 235-10, we're first to act. We had like 1,200 in our stack before the last hand, and then we lost about 250. So now we have about 950 in our stack at this point. We are first to act, and we look down at pocket jacks. We like pocket jacks. We open to 40. And now the guy next to us, who's this OMC. OMC is a pejorative term. It means old man coffee. And it basically refers to boomers who only put in a lot of money with the nuts. That's what this guy is. I played with him a ton. Your classic OMC. And he now three bets me to 125 next to act. And in this situation, like this guy's just always nutted. I, I think his range is probably like queens are better and ace king. That's literally all he's doing this with is the very best hands. So I'm sitting there thinking about if it's even reasonable for me to defend against this three bet out of position when I only have less, when I only have like 910 bucks in front of me behind. But that decision is made quite a bit easier when the big blind who's got this big stack. He's got like 2,500. He's this like loose, splashy, older Middle Eastern dude. And he cold calls the 125. And now it's a way easy decision for me. It's 85 to call. It's an easy call. Even against one strong range, you know, the situation just got a whole lot better. Now there's two people that can pay me off if I hit a hand. I'm getting much better odds from the pot. Certainly I'm not folding here. So we call. And the dealer's getting ready to put out the flop, and he's not looking at me, but I'm looking at him. I'm looking him right in the eye. I'm like, you son of a bitch, do it for me. Give me a jack. Put a jack out on this flop. And I think there's something about putting positive thoughts into the universe, because if the poker gods aren't good, I don't know who is. The flop comes jack 6-3 with two hearts. We flop top set. We flop the stone cold nutties. In a three-bet pot with three people in it, our little weenus is tingling under the table, and then something incredible happens. The big blind leads for $345, and I'm just trying not to have a stroke. I'm like, oh my God, this is so incredible. We've flopped the stone-cold nuts, top set, in a big-ass pot, and this guy is just like jamming in chips. Holla fucking Louia! We love it. Obviously, we're not folding because it would be ludicrous to fold the nuts. So our only consideration is, do we call or do we raise? I suppose there's a case for raising. Again, it's jack, six, deuce. And the six and the deuce are both hearts. I actually have the jack of hearts in my hand. And that's a really good card to have because it removes the possibility that the big blind can have a hand like ace, jack of hearts or king, jack of hearts, top pair with, with a flush draw. Not that it's going to change our action that much either way, but certainly it's nice to know that he can't have a monster hand like that. 
In the end, I decide that calling is the far better option because the OMC is still to act behind me. He hasn't even gone yet, right? We're just putting in a bunch of chips and he was the preflop three better. He can easily be sitting behind me. Again, I told you I thought his range was queens are better and ace king. So he can easily be sitting behind me with a hand like pocket aces or a hand like pocket kings. And if I just call the 345, what's he going to do? Fold? No, he's just going to jam. And then we're going to get it all in three ways when I have top set. I mean, this is just an incredible situation. So I decide to call the 345, leaving myself about 480 behind. And then something actually fairly terrible happens. The OMC folds. And he folds pretty quickly. So I think it's pretty obvious that he had a hand like Ace-King. That sucks. A little bit of run bad. But we still have the fish on the hook. So Jack-6-Deuce with two hearts and we're just hoping for not a heart a big a big part of the guy's range that he can have is a hand like king queen of hearts or ace queen of hearts or ace king of hearts something like that um so we really just don't want the flush to hit but no matter what like we have so much of our stack committed we're, we're never folding even if it does the turn comes in offsuit 10 though so we still have the nuts and he just jams all in very quickly i snap call the river comes in offsuit nine, no heart. We fucking love it. The only hand we're really losing to is something like king, queen of hearts that backed into uh, uh, the nut straight. But he turns over pocket queens. We show our top set of jacks and we rip in like a $2,000 pot. Easy fucking game. We love it. We love it. So why do I tell you this hand? Did I play this hand well? Uh, I mean, I guess. Uh, it would have been pretty hard to screw this hand up at all. So certainly I'm cheating a little bit by using it as the hand that I did play well. But I think it's really instructive to think about the things that happen pre-flop. Let's think about things from the big blinds perspective. I open pre-flop and then the guy next to me, the OMC three bet, and then it got back to the big blind and he cold called that 125. Now, a good theoretical preflop strategy would have you never flatting with any hand in his position, either four bet or fold. And the reason is, is because exactly what happened to him. He ended up playing a big ass inflated pot against uncapped ranges, particularly the uncapped range of the OMC, at a position against everybody. Terrible, terrible spot to be in. A good theoretical way to play this spot would to be to Cold four bet your top of range, your pocket aces and your pocket kings and your pocket queens and your ace king, and just fold everything else. Maybe you can throw in the occasional bluff with like ace five suited, but really I don't even think it's necessary to be balanced in this spot. And then fold everything else. What ended up happening is that this guy played this big ass pot out of position against two other players and he had no idea where he was at. So I'm pretty sure what was going through his mind is, okay, I got pocket queens. I don't want to like re-raise and get it all in pre-flop because somebody could have a better hand than me. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to see the flop. And if no overcards come, if there's no ace or king, I'm just going to start blasting off because then I have an overpair and everything's great. It's actually a really bad way to play, right? Because think of what happens. This flop is jack six, three. He's the one now suffering from reverse implied odds. If he blasts off with queens, he's only going to get played with with a better hand. Somebody can have pocket aces or pocket kings or a hand like I have pocket jacks. And if they do, 
a bunch of money is going to go in and he's going to lose it all. On the flip side, if somebody has a hand like Ace King or Pocket Tens, he's not going to make any money. He's just going to bet and people are going to fold. So playing his hand this way is pretty face up and it's pretty bad overall. And just think of what would have happened if he had decided to four bet or fold. Say he decided to cold four bet. He cold four bets to 300. I get out of the way. And now the OMC, who has ace-king pretty clearly, he doesn't want to get all in preflop with ace-king, so he just calls the 300. The flop comes jack-six-deuce. The big blind with queens now jams all in. And the OMC with ace-king folds. In this situation, the big blind would have profited 350 bucks. Instead, the way he played his hand, by choosing not to cold four-bet his queens, he lost 950 bucks. A $1,300 swing purely because he decided to not four-bet his hand. Now think of if he decided to make a really tight fold, which honestly, under the circumstances, I think would be justified. It'd be pretty tight, but it'd be justified because me, a solid player, opened under the gun, and then this OMC, who's only three-betting queens plus an ace-king, he three-bets me next to act. So folding pocket queens, again, would be tight, but I think in this situation, pretty reasonable. And if he had folded, he would have saved himself 950 bucks. So if he had just decided to fold, he would have netted $0 instead of losing 950. So no matter which way he went, three better fold, he would have saved somewhere between 950 and $1,300. His simple decision to just flat pre-flop and see what happened ended up costing him a shitload of money. Now let's stop and shift the focus back to your hero. I want you to think of what happened in hand one, the one I played bad. I lost $245 because of this simple little $15 open that I made with 10-7 suited. What ended up happening is my stack was $245 lighter one orbit later. Now I would have doubled up through this guy no matter what, So really that $245 turned into $490, almost 500 goddamn dollars I lost because I opened 10-7 suited once. Again, all preflop mistakes don't end up being these big deals, but I think the point that, that I'm trying to make is sometimes these little things end up becoming really big things. And you can keep them from doing that if you play a proper pre-flop strategy. Um, I did it in hand one and ended up costing me almost 500 bucks. And in this session, I actually ended up running hot later and ended up profiting like 2.5K. That's awesome. You know, it would have been a lot more awesome if I'd profited 3K. Like 3K sessions do not happen that often at 2.5. And uh, it would have been really cool if it did here. So I screwed myself out of a bunch of money with this 10-7 suited, and I'm still not over it, as you can tell. Anyways, I've done enough bemoaning, you know, all, all's well that ends well, but I think as you can tell, like, I'm somebody who really nitpicks my own play, and I think if you want to get better at poker, you need to do that. You need to make honest self-assessments and pick yourself apart even when you have a really big session. The reality is, and I said this in the introductory episode, I make mistakes every single session, every session, multiple mistakes all the time. Some of them are really small mistakes that don't end up amounting to much. Some of them are small mistakes that end up being big. Sometimes I make big mistakes, but 
I think the important thing is to be cognizant of them, learn from them, you know, be brutally honest with yourself about them and learn from them. Try to get better. All right. That's enough admonishing myself. I hope you guys had fun. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, do me a big favor. You got a quick second right now. Just scroll down. Give me a little rating. If you got a few free minutes, give me a review. I think we only have like four reviews on the on iTunes and every one of them is awesome. I really appreciate you guys that have dropped the reviews. And as always, I appreciate you guys listening. Until next week, my friends, play good and run pure.